Anyway, okay. So we're in Joshua chapter 8. This is a wonderful chapter, uh, especially after uh, Israel's shameful defeat in Ai. Now we're going into this chapter. And this is not the fall of the Israelites, but the fall of Ai is what we have. Um, we know that at this point, the Israelites have taken care of business, the whole sin that was found in their camp, the sin of Achan. And, uh, and now we get into this chapter to where um, <clears throat> they um, come to know victory one more time. So let's pray. And let's get into our study. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for second chances. We, say, we thank you, Lord, that uh, even though, Lord, there are times that we do stumble, Father, you are there. To help us understand exactly what it was that caused us to stumble. Lord, you give us the opportunity to repent of those things, make things right. And Lord, be righted by you that we may once again know an intimate walk with you and victorious battles still lie ahead. And so, Father, we want to commit this evening into your hands, Lord, knowing that when you have done the work and gained the victory, Lord, we can also rejoice with you, worship and glorify you, and give you all the credit. And so, Father, that's what we have before us with the Israelites. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, minister to us by your word, give us understanding by your spirit, and, Lord, help us to walk, Lord, in a manner that is worthy of the salvation that we have come to know by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as we leave this place and go about our week. And so, Father, we commit this evening into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are times in our lives when we are in desperate need of a second chance. Um, I know I have been in just this this point in my life to where, like, ah, man, I, I... I went the wrong way. I made the wrong decision. I did the wrong thing. And, uh, and, and I'm just in desperate need of a second chance. I'm sure all of you can relate to that, to where we just need a second chance. We need a fresh start. We need to know God's mercy. It's a good thing that we do serve a God of second chances. And this evening, we'll see how it is that Ai, um, or Israel, uh, got a second chance as they made preparations, as the Lord had um, drawn back his anger from them as they took care of the sin that was within the camp and as a result gave them victory in Ai. Uh, Chapter 7, verse 26 says, And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. This was after they had dealt with the sin of Achan. And now we see the details of how the Lord gave uh, the nation of Israel, the Israelites, victory over the Aites the ones they had been defeated by so easily. There are two major events that we'll go over this evening. Number one is going to be the battle in Ai, the victory that they had there, but also when they went and proclaimed um, God's law on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. We're going to take a trip of about 20 to 25 miles north of where they are uh, going to uh, engage in this battle in AI. Uh, after that, they're going to travel about 20 to 25 miles north. Just so you know, geographically, we have Jerusalem. Just northwest, we have AI. And just northwest of there, we have Bethel. And then directly above them 
is Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. So just so you know, uh, as far as Israel is concerned, kind of where these locations are. I'm excited um, that coming up here in, at the end of February, I, I, you know, we're reading all this and studying it, and, and I'm so looking forward to going to Israel and seeing this firsthand, you know, seeing how this all lays out. It's, it's absolutely going to be beautiful. But just so you know, just th- this is where all of these things are. Now, through these events, we'll see the results of obedience and how the very recent failure in Ai and the destruction of Achan would be examples of the very real things that the people would recite, actually, from Mount Ebal, which was the mount upon which they declared the curses. We'll get to that in the latter part of this message, but first of all, let's go over the details of Israel's victory over Ai. Verse 1. Chapter 8, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. We're going to stop for a second there, uh, because there are some important things that I don't want to miss. In 6.2, chapter 6, verse 2, God told Joshua something similar in regards to uh, Jericho. He said, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. This is the second time that we see this word, see. It's used in this context, in this manner, from the Lord as he gives a word to Joshua. And this word struck me as something very important for us to understand this evening. The first time I said that it was by faith that we are to see what God is telling us. That's oftentimes where we need to be as the Lord tells us in His Word, as as we're going through reading and applying it to, to various situations in our lives. We're simply to see by faith. Perhaps we have an experience of victory as we obey the Word of God in these circumstances But we are to believe by, you know, just take it by faith, walk through it, and then see his hand move in a special way. This time, of course, this is emphasized this important principle of faith with a little more behind it. And that's why every time we experience God's faithfulness in bringing about his word the way he said he will, we should actually increase in our faith. Having something to fall back on, like he has been so faithful over the course of many years, over many circumstances, many things, many situations that I have found myself in, at this point, I should just be like oozing with faith, right? Because this was something, remember Joshua was with Moses. He saw everything that happened in the wilderness. They had just crossed the Jordan. They had just taken out Jericho. So when God tells Joshua, see, this is something that has just a little bit more substance to it. Remember the first time Joshua, after the Lord told him this, physically saw a fortified Jericho fall apart literally before his eyes. But here the second time God tells Joshua to see, and we have some history behind it, a little bit more. 
God spoke to Joshua the first time and it came to pass. And I can just imagine Joshua's confidence in the Lord's word was stronger because he could look back at their victory in Jericho because of the Lord. For us, I hope that it's a very powerful lesson to learn, to never forget and apply often. We, we need to be reminded, we're, we're knuckleheads. <laughs> we, we have a short timer's disease. Uh, we, we've, it, very quickly we forget just how faithful God is. We need to be reminded constantly, God is faithful. You, do you not remember all those things that he's been like, getting you through, bringing you to? So we need to apply it often. The enemy tries to remind us of defeats, but the Lord tells us to remember the victories. Trust in Him. Our future is secure in Him. He's real. We can faithfully and confidently move forward in our Christian walks. There will be times when the enemy reminds you of your failures. He probably may have done it today. He tries to weigh you down with depression, distraction, worry, doubt, and even deem you disqualified. He accuses you. He's the accuser of the brethren. So he he wants to make you believe uh, God won't use you. That one, you've crossed the line. You've done too much. You're done. But we ought to remember that we, we are not to remain down. We need to, to get up. We need to do something. That is when we realize. That's why as, as God reveals these things to us, it's good. It's good that God, just like in the last chapter, what was revealed? The sin of Achan was revealed. Why? Just so that they could talk about him? So that they could all know and, well, that's the source, you know? No, it's so that they could do something about it. It's to repent, do away with, turn from it and go toward the Lord. So that's, if, if we remain in our sin, then we stay down on our faces in defeat. But we need to get up. We need to repent and continue on with the Lord. From John Piper's book, When the Darkness Will Not Lift, we can learn a biblical truth that we must apply when we're down. When, quote, when McDonald says, heed not thy feelings, do thy work, he means don't let wrong feelings govern you. Act against them. If your feelings are telling you that staying in bed is the best thing today, preach to your feelings and tell them how foolish they are. Don't lose sight of the gospel in this preaching. Don't forget that defeating these wrong feelings and getting out of bed is enabled by the Spirit and is becoming what you are in Christ. But then exert your will and get up. Close quote. I love that because... Sometimes, and I, I believe today, we, allowed our, we allow our emotions and our lack of truly prioritizing things to get in the way. I don't think I have to really roll this out for you. But church, we have our priorities, priorities kind of messed up. We let, we let our emotions or sometimes... Who, who isn't tired here? Okay, we're, we're all tired. We've been going throughout the day, right? Throughout the week, throughout the season, right? It is just, that's just the way it goes. You know what? The Lord gives you strength and what you prioritize should be Him. I think what Ray said was right on. It's something to think about. 
we give, our, we give so much time to all these events and things and going here and going there in this time. And yet, just wait till January. When, when the church sometimes gets busy it's, and you start complaining. Think about this time. Think about what you gave yourself to and yet are unwilling to when it comes to the things of God. We need, we, need to, we need to be strong. We need to rise up. And I tell you this with love and yet with firmness, with truth, because I've seen it, right? The church needs to be strengthened, rise up, make the right choices, stop making excuses, serve the Lord, and dare I, dare I say, sacrificially, sacrificially, that's what he requires. Why? Because that demonstrates that you're willing to give it your all. Even King David dared not worship the Lord with something that didn't cost him anything. So even Joshua had a choice to make. God told Joshua, and we talked about it last week, get up. And I said, made a point, you know, it has an exclamation point there, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Joshua had a choice. God gave the command and Joshua did get up and he listened. God gives us commands in his word, but we have a choice. To either ignore and reject what he's told us or do as he's told us. You know? All right. I'll get up. I'll keep going. What do you have, Lord? That was a miserable defeat. (laughs) but I'll get up. Joshua made the right choice. He got up, dealt with the sin, and was restored to a right position before the Lord. And now God is telling Joshua once more to see. You can't see when you remain on your face what God is trying to show you. You have to get up and look up. Look up to Him. Secondly, verse 2 says, And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoil and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves, lay an ambush against the city behind it. So these were the instructions that God gave to Joshua. Now, God doesn't always give us victories in the same way. I think that we think sometimes, if, if I just do it the same way, then I will get the same results. Maybe, but not always. If it were all the same every time, then we could figure out God and, you know, we'd stop growing as Christians, clinging to Him, trusting and having to just follow Him all. Like, okay, so what is it that... Does He give you specific instructions for every situation that you find yourself in? No. But He gives us enough in His Word to where we can be given direction on go this way, go that way, don't go that way, don't go this way. Do this, do that. You know, so he does give us enough to where we can apply these truths to every situation that we're in and really bless and glorify him. Church, I know you get frustrated when things don't go right and you're doing the same thing as last time. Have you ever done that? It's like, well, I'm doing the same thing, but I, I just, I'm not feeling it. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But I have to tell you that if you really look at yesterday in the Bible, 
your today will make more sense in that you realize that you have to rely on God for wisdom in the moment. And tomorrow will bring new adventures in Christ. If you consider the Word of God, if you consider the fact that He's with you all the time, that He's faithful, then you can come into the next day with great excitement, nothing that will you know, bring fear upon you or anxiety or worry. Why? Because you're meeting the day knowing that God is faithful and He'll meet you right there, right where you are. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. And I'm so glad that this living, beautiful, intimate relationship with the Lord and the very situations that we find ourselves in help, helps us to understand that every situation not necessarily is approached the same way. And we know that God is beyond what anyone can fathom in their minds, and every situation is different. All we have to do is listen to Him. The, the, the Christian life is dynamic, and that's what's wonderful. As we look to Him for wisdom, for discernment, you know how, how we go about dealing with this specific circumstance... By the way, that's why we talk to each other too. Hey, brother, you know what? I'm like dealing with this and I don't know, it's kind of heavy. It's complicated. And sometimes when we talk to each other, we just give each other, each other a, a word from the Lord and it just clarifies, yeah, you're right. You know, it's not that complicated. Not, not at all. And it's just because we're listening to the Lord. So with this, God gives Joshua just... He points the finger in a certain direction. He tells them, go, this is what you can do this time, and you're going to lie in an ambush uh, to conquer Ai. All right. Secondly, what we need to understand is that God asks for the first fruits, but gives you the rest to steward. Had Achan held off in taking some of the spoils from the first battle, he could have received much more in the second battle. And I thought, wow, sometimes is, is it a test of obedience and contentment with the Lord when He tells us, no, not now? Just not now. You don't know if He's telling you to wait. All you hear, like a little kid, you know, you hear, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> you think, this is, it's the end of my life. Right? But you have no idea that sometimes all the Lord is saying is, wait, not now. You know, we say as parents, not, not now. Oh, you, kids quickly learn. Not now, but that means later I'll get it, right? And so then you have them asking, now, 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 right? Because they're impatient, they want it. But sometimes we need to, we hear no. They, Aiken was told, along with everyone else, no. But now, all of this plunder is received. The livestock is received and is brought in. Can you imagine the people as they took the plunder from Ai and Bethel, how they may have thought about Achan? Conversations where the parents are telling the kids, Son, give to God what is rightfully His and commands us to do. Do not steal from Him, because in the end He blesses his children and gives them more than what they deserve. Look at all of this. You know, it's one of those lessons to where we can look at. It doesn't always do it that way, 
But it's amazing when he does, and we are truly grateful for it. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Matthew 6, 33. There may be times when we don't have our priorities straight and we strike too soon or count God out of our lives when we need to trust Him for just a split second more and see His goodness poured out again. Matthew seven eleven says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? We need to wait patiently on the Lord, obey His word, and trust Him. There's a church around the corner from uh, my house. Uh, it's Emmanuel Baptist Temple, and they, they, put, they put these, uh, these signs. You know those old Southern Baptist churches that, that I think they have the same messages up? Um, kind of corny, but it's good. One of them said, Patience is a virtue that carries a lot of weight. W-A-I-T. Not E-I-G-H-D. Had Achan exercised obedience and carried a little more weight, W-A-I-T, instead of taking things into his own hands, literally, then he would have experienced God's abundant blessings and many lives would have been spared. Had he just sat back and waited on the Lord. But we have these instructions given to, to Joshua here. These are just some things to consider as we also know um, how it is that they got to the situation. Kind of the backstory to it. All right, so verse 3, let's continue. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go up to Ai, and Joshua chose how many? 30,000, not 3,000, 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say they are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set the city on fire. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush, and lay between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. So the first time that Joshua sent... uh, the mighty men of valor, the soldiers of Israel out, he sent out 3,000. We see that in the last chapter. This time, he sent 30,000 in that direction. Even though God had assured him victory. Okay, Joshua, things are right. My wrath has subsided. The Lord has turned from his burning anger. And even then, even after all those words that the Lord gave to Joshua, he sent 30,000 men. 
I love that because it, it demonstrates that even though God tells us and assures us, we shouldn't handle His promises flippantly. We, we shouldn't take the enemy lightly. Sometimes we take him, I think oftentimes, we take him too lightly. You know, all, all we simply say, without doing anything, if God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And, and then we fold our hands and do nothing. We send out a few men and hardly lift a finger. We're going to see in this how it is that Joshua at this point understood that the enemy had to be dealt with completely. Not partly, not taken lightly, but taken seriously. I like how it was that Joshua used the cover of the night to move the troops into position just north of Ai. Uh, This is military intelligence. This This is where you begin to see Joshua, the great commander, you know, He could move the troops and he understood how and when and where to do so in a way that demonstrates great strategy. And so he moved them in the cover of the night. It was in this place that Joshua gave the detailed orders for their movements and the strategy was put in place to overtake and destroy Ai. Oh, they were going to the fight. They were going straight into it. What's interesting is that God had given Joshua just a general uh, command to ambush Ai. I I told you as he gave him the command that he just pointed the finger. Just basically he said, go in that direction. Uh, Oftentimes God does that with us. But he just told him, you're going to ambush Ai. Okay. Joshua did that. But through his experience in divine anointing and common sense, he laid out the specific manner in which they would conduct the ambush. It does not say that God gave them these specific commands to split up and do these things in this manner in order to flank them, come up behind them, and take, take out the city while they were out. He didn't tell them all that. He just said, ambush them. Got it. I understand what you're telling me. It's pretty cool when God just... Points in a direction. But then we are to trust that He will give us the details of how to do it as we desire and seek His wisdom to accomplish something He has told us to do. In the midst of it, we understand that He has given us this mind to use. And so we begin to exercise this thought, brainstorm, think about these things, draw upon past experiences and and think, okay, Lord, how is it that you, you want me to do this? And it's amazing how things come together at times when we just lean and trust in the Lord. And so Joshua does give the details of the ambush to the mighty men of valor, his soldiers. And then in verse 9, we see how Joshua spent the night among the people. It was a very important campaign for the Israelites. They had just come out of a very difficult situation, defeat, with the sin of Achan and the judgment that they had experienced. They had experienced all of that. And now they had Joshua among them. Not just giving them orders from a distance. These are the orders. Go. You know, Godspeed. Go. Do what you got to do. No, Joshua was in the midst of them. He was among them. That's, That's unusual. 
That, that's not how it normally happens. Uh, the person who is in command over the whole campaign normally is not in the middle of everything. Normally, he is detached. Why? So he can sit back and see everything, how it's unfolding, and perhaps make adjustments along the way. But not Joshua. He's, he was among the people. It's a bit different. He was close to them. He was among them. And he was leading them. Our Joshua. Yeshua. Jesus Christ our Lord. Is that way with us. He can see. From. A distance as far as the overall picture. But he's God. He also, he's also among us. And he's leading us. And he leads these battles. We should always remember that, especially when we are going through tough moments in life. Remember our Lord, the Good Shepherd. And I love the picture that Jesus drew for us in our minds and our hearts of who He is. He is the Good Shepherd. In John 10, verses 11 through 15, it says, He he said, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the kind of leader we have of our lives. The commander before us is also among us. He's with us and he was willing to lay down his life for us. And today, he sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on behalf of you and I. He's interested in all of the details of our lives. But he's with us. He's among us. And he goes before us. And so we have this setting up of this ambush in these verses here. Just as God had told Joshua to do, so he laid out the details of this plan, of the strategy to his people And they went out and did that very thing. Let's continue. Verse 10. Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up, he and the elders of Israel, before the people to Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near before the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces. The main encampment was uh, north of the city and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. Stop there just for a moment. Basically, take your places. Everybody, go. Position yourself. Joshua and the, the people and the elders. In other words, Joshua went up with the leaders and the warriors. All of them. They went up. Those that were willing and committed to go into battle. So we see the majority of the men going to the north of Ai. This valley between them and Ai. And another 5,000 to the west of the city of Ai. uh, Between Ai and Bethel. The plan was set in motion. The troops were in position and they were ready to take the city. 
We should be this calculated when it comes to what we do as Christians. What I mean is that if we lose the battle of temptation in some way and sin, then what we are to do is regroup, confess, repent, turn to the Lord. And then we don't, we don't sit back on our heels We take the offensive. Why? Because we've already been taken once. We're not going to be taken twice. We're we're going to advance. We're going to do this well. We're going to do this right this time. We should take the offensive to gain victory over it. I think oftentimes our mistake is that we're not this calculated. We do kind of sit back. We, We do ask for forgiveness. We do repent. And then we kind of sit back passively and not do anything. We don't do anything to safeguard. We don't do anything to not repeat the same mistake. The goal uh, you know, towards any sin is to destroy it. Completely destroy it. I cannot emphasize that enough. Because I have known that to come back in my life to where I haven't destroyed it. And so it rears its ugly head, and there it is again. I, I did not take the offensive on it. I didn't destroy it, and there it is. You know, that's, that's shame on me. I should not have allowed that to happen. But do we take the initiative and the offensive in the battle against it, or are we reactive, waiting for it to come to us again? I think sometimes that's what we do. We just, you know, we'll deal with it when it comes to us. No, we ought to deal with it when it's before us out there. Out there. We live in a wonderful country that takes the battle out of the continental United States and out to where it begins, not allowing it to come into our nation. That simple thing should be a principle that we exercise in our own lives, that we don't allow it to, to enter into our territory. We take, take care of it outside. In other words, that will require us to be deliberate, calculated, and take the offensive. We take the battle out. And we do that. Remember that sin is like a crouching lion waiting to pounce on you. Sin is like a roaring lion just looking for someone to de- devour. The enemy, sin, desires to steal and kill and destroy It's not like a little kitty that wants to play. It's like a lion seeking to completely wipe you out. And so they were very calculated, right? I mean, they they were ready. They were in position to do exactly what the Lord had told them to do. Take the fight. Go to, to the fight. The whole armor of God actually described in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 is something donned in order to advance. It's not to just sit back and wait for the fight. It's act, if, you, if you read Ephesians 6, 6, Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, think about the armor that we are to put on. It's actually engaged in battle. In the first few verses, at beginning of verse 10, we'll tell you, we're in, we're in a real battle. These, these, these items are to be donned in order to advance, move forward. So verse 14, as we continue. 
says, And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place toward the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai or Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. It's working as planned. The enemy was drawn out, and there were actually even more of the enemy that was expected drawn out. Ai and Bethel, they, they all came out, is what we have here before us. Like, oh, Ai, you're not getting this victory without us. Bethel pursued him as well. So the plan was working. Joshua was in the company of those that had drawn them out. And so they, they kept running, they kept running, they kept running. It's like, keep going, keep going. Go ahead. I remember um, growing up in, in elementary, um, I, was always, I was always the little guy. And there were always those, those guys. There's, there's bullies at every school, school right? There are. Uh, mine was no different. And so uh, my mama always told me to not fight. But what do you do when the fight comes to you? Right? I had to figure out real quick what I was going to do. And I'll share this with you because these are confessions from your pastor. (laughs) I remember I I learned there's a lot to confess. I already confessed it to the Lord. But I, I had to figure out what to do. And I had these bigger, everyone's bigger than me. Right? And I remember it was like, man, he, this guy keeps coming at me. And finally, he, this guy takes a swing. I, I ducked it and started running. What, what any little guy would do, right? Start running. And I don't know what got into my head. I could run, and I could run fast. So I ran, and I remember at some point, somehow, the wisdom of God came upon me. <laughs> and I stopped, turned around, and gave him a swift kick to the gut. That folded him. He went down. <laughs> was, you know, <laughs> knocked the wind out of him. And that was done. And I was known at that point, I was the tough guy, right? Wow. You brought down Goliath, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know? And I don't know where I was going with this. No, my, my whole point with this is that what Joshua was doing was something that appeared to be that the person that they were weaker than those that were being drawn out they were running away but just be careful cuz the foe was about to come up in a very real way with these guys and AI was was about to be taken down behind them not before them but behind them i'm in and, and also the Lord, that was his wisdom. He was the one that was tell, telling Joshua to draw them out. To make them do what they believed they did last time would bring them success to do it again. And so that's in God's wisdom. That's what he was telling them to do. 
Just remember when God, remember God, when he gives directions and it comes about as he said it would, that it's God doing the work in his amazing wisdom. And we need to give the Lord our, our God the victory and the glory in it. Verse 18, let's continue. Continue, says, uh, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city, and the men in the, uh, in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran and entered the city and captured it, and they hurried to set the city on fire. So when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or that, for the people who fled to the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush, uh, that the ambush had captured the city and that the smoke of the city went up, then they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them. So they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And Israel struck them down until there was none left. There was left none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him near to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, all Israel returned to Ai and struck it down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the javelin until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil of that city Israel took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on a tree until evening. And at sunset Joshua commanded And they took his body down from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a heap of stones, which stands there to this day. Joshua and the mighty men of valor struck them all down. He held that javelin up until it was all completely done. They were obedient to the Lord and did as God had instructed them. They ambushed and left nothing but the livestock and the spoil of the city. The king of Ai was left to hang on a tree in shame and judgment. There was absolutely no mercy, no mercy for the enemy. The enemy was completely, completely destroyed. And so with this, I know it gives the details of the actual battle between the Israelites and Ai. It, it happened. The point of this, as we draw, uh, as, as, we, as we read it, is to understand it happened just as God said it would happen. And we know that the Israelites were obedient in every way. Joshua made sure there's, there's not one person that's going to be left standing. 12,000 of them fell in that one day. 12,000. The city was set on fire. The king of Ai was hung on a tree. It was all judgment that, that came on Ai by the hand of God that was, that in, in which God used the Israelites actually to draw judgment upon Ai. And it was completely destroyed. Completely. And again, I have to go back to this 
the reality of, of things today in our lives to where this must be the same with us, with our sin. If you leave even a hint of life to sin, it will bring you down. We learn that with Achan, and we know that to be true because perhaps you've already experienced that. You know, just a little bit, uh, you know, the toes in the door, it's kind of left ajar. You know, it just, it keeps coming back. You have to deal with it. And completely annihilate it. Completely. God is faithful. And he gave Israel this beautiful victory. Just as he said. So let's look at the last five verses. Verse 30, at that time Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the Law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has welded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the Law of Moses, which he had written. And all, Israel, so, uh, and all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priest, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law, there was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. So now we've traveled 20 miles north along a mountaintop trail to a place located between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, a place called Shechem. At this time, this place... Uh, at this time, this place had already been well established in the history of God's people. This was a place where Abraham stopped 600 years earlier, earlier as he came up from Ur and built his first altar to the living God. This was the place where Joseph first looked for his brothers before going to Dothan, where he was sold into slavery, and Joseph was eventually buried there. Jacob dug a well near Shechem, and it was at that well where Jesus met and spoke with a Samaritan woman that we read about in John chapter 4. The physical features of this place are pretty amazing too, because it turns out that this place was a natural amphitheater. Mount Ebal was to the north, and Mount Gerizim was to the south, and Shechem was in the middle. They were about 3,000 feet above sea level, and Mount Ebal was only about 200 feet taller than Mount Gerizim. So they were pretty similar in height. At the peaks of the mountains, they stood about one and a half miles apart, but at the base, they were only about 500 feet apart. By the way, both names mean barren, yet from the top of both of these mountains, one can see much of the promised land that is described as a land flowing with milk and honey. You could say that it was the heart of the promised land right there. And I said that at this place, this was a natural amphitheater where all of the Israelites fit and sound traveled very easily. In fact, a man by the name of Canon Tristan told the story of putting two of his traveling companions on the hills opposite each other. This would be a great test, right? To be able to do this, 
Imagine going there and it's like, hey, you, mount, you climb Mount Gerizim, you, you climb Mount Ebal, and, and, and I'm going to read the Ten Commandments. Tell me if you can hear it. Well, he did this. And they could both hear what he was saying clearly, perfectly. The reason the Israelites came to this place was in obedience to what Moses had told them to do back in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 11 through 13, when he told them, When you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, and these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse. I mean, just, just think about it. God, talk about having some substance to, you, to your faith, right? It's like the Lord had commanded them to do this. Now they were, oh, we're, we're west of the Jordan. We're here. We have taken out Jericho. We have taken out Ai. Uh, Jericho in such an unorthodox way. After having taken care of things, we conquered Ai. And now we're in the very place that Moses had told us to come to and proclaim blessings and cursings. Here we are, right here. Moses named what tribes would specifically stand on each of the mountains to proclaim blessings or curses, and this is exactly what they did. They assembled everyone, and they did exactly what Moses had commanded. Moses not only commanded that the Israelites do this once, they crossed the Jordan, but also to do a few other things that would remind them of their relationship to God. Besides reciting the blessings and the curses as Moses had commanded them to do, according to Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, the Israelites also erected this altar of sacrifice on Mount Ebal. Not Mount Gerizim, but on Mount Ebal. And Joshua wrote the Ten Commandments on stones. I didn't say Moses. Joshua wrote them, right? He wrote them in obedience to what the Lord had commanded him not to deviate from back in chapter 1. Keep my law. Keep my word. Do not deviate from it. So he was sent that before him. The Ten Commandments he wrote down on with some figure was some kind of covered, the, the rocks were covered with some kind of calcium solution so you could write on them. Now God commanded that Mount Gerizim be the mountain by which the blessings were proclaimed from and that Mount Ebal were, was the mountain upon which the curses would be proclaimed from. Uh, this is a huge object lesson for the Israelites as they continue in their conquest of the promised land. They can look back to this and, and think about what, what it was that they said they spoke and heard coming back and forth. What happened to them in this land depended on whether they were living on Mount Gerizim or Mount Ebal. Which set of proclamations were they following would, would determine their, their outcome in the promised land. I know it's not great. It, it's, not, it's not something you want to hear as far as curses are concerned, but it's Good to not only hear what we want to hear, sweet, positive words, but also hear what the consequences are if perhaps we do the opposite of what God's Word tells us to do and not to do. A man by the name of Quentin J. Everest said, quote, When a person's faith seems to collapse without warning, one can be sure it has been the result of inner conflicts, the termites of disobedience. 
close quote. And so they can look back to these commands. We can look back to the Word of God. We say, yeah. That's why confession is simply an agreement with God that we have sinned, we have fallen short. That's, that's what it is. And so we can look back to the Word of God and say, yeah, that, that there's, there's where I, I fell short. I agree with you, God. There are two different types of philosophies when it comes to the raising of children. One extreme would be that one raises them with positive affirmation only, and, and, uh, and the other is negative motivation. One would only speak positive, uplifting words that would fill them with thoughts of basically invincibility and an immense amount of self-worth and confidence. We would say self-worth, but it's, it's much more than that. It's, it's called self-centeredness and pride is what we, we fill them with when, when this is all they get. This confidence in being able to do whatever they set their minds to doing. You know, sometimes we need to... I share this with, with my boys. Hey, listen, do we live in a, in a fair world? No, we don't. We live in a fallen world. They're going to face issues. They need to learn how to deal with them, right? And as they get older, sometimes we need to let them, we need to let them stumble a little bit and make their errors so that they'll learn from them. But they, but they need to mature. They need to grow in that, right? The other side, the other swinging of the pendulum this philosophy is putting fear in them that would hopefully keep them from doing the wrong thing because of the consequence. So we're always putting consequences before them. It's always negative. Neither one is good to always be in. Like, that's the place where we're at. The Bible teaches a perfect balance of the two. God also doesn't only give us the positive side with grace and being blessed in this life, but also speaks of the consequences. There are some false teachers that would have... They would love to lead you in that direction and tell you the only reason why you're not being blessed is because you don't have enough faith. The reason why you're going through what you're going through is because you haven't given enough. Uh, The reason why you're going, you know what I mean? But that's not the truth. That's not the whole counsel of God. In fact, that's not the counsel of God, period. Galatians 6, 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So, you sow obedience, you will reap the consequences of obedience. Those are good consequences. You sow disobedience, you're going to reap the consequences of disobedience. With all of this said, it's good and wise to not dismiss when we hear the curses along with the blessings because it is only then that we have full knowledge that we truly have a choice as to which one we will follow and what set of consequences we will reap. That's the choice the Israelites were given. They stated it from the mountaintops. Will you dwell in this land on Mount Ebal or Mount Gerizim? The question for us as we learn, get to know and understand Scripture, is whether we will live in obedience to Scripture and stand on that mount, Mount Gerizim, or on Mount Ebal in disobedience, knowing what the consequences are. There's something else here that I want to bring your attention to. And that is the altar that was built because this whole ceremony that was taking place between the two mountains teaches more than just the principle that obedience leads to blessing and disobedience leads to consequences. 
judgment, discipline, but it also teaches us God's solution to the problem of sin in a person's life. And that's important for us. It's of utmost importance as we read these verses that you note that the altar was not built between two mountains, nor was it built on Mount Gerizim, where the blessings were spoken from. But it was built on Mount Ebal, in the exact fulfillment of the commands that God gave to Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 27. God was saying, you, you shouldn't sin. Right? When, when we have these commandments, he's saying, you shouldn't sin. But when you do sin, I will give you a way to return to me through the altar. Remember, they, they immediately went to the altar. They erected this altar, burnt offerings, peace offerings. They were offering. They were worshiping the Lord. These are only offered if there's, if there's been sin that's been committed. The first reason the altar is the focal point here is because it is a solution to sin. When God first gave the law on Mount Sinai, He also gave Aaron to be high priest. At the same time, the only one that could enter the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, to offer atonement for the sin of the people in the presence of the Almighty by the sprinkling of the sacrificed blood on the mercy seat. It's like as if God, and this is what's wonderful about this this section right here, is that it's as if God was thundering from Sinai, Thou shalt not... But I know you will. And when you do, here's a way to escape this condemnation. There's no reason for Aaron if they were going to be perfect. There's no reason for the Levitical priesthood. No reason for sacrifices. If he knew that they were going to follow the law perfectly. We know that sin brings judgment and the judgment of sin is death, but the sacrifices show that it is possible for an innocent victim to die in the place of the sinner. In those days, it was an animal that died that was sacrificed. But this was only a shadow of what was to come. It pointed forward to the truly sufficient sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And that's why this is so important. That's why as I I studied this, this chapter and we've gone through it before, I thought, how, to me, that's why Scripture is so exciting. We, we, we start to see how it all comes together and how it's applicable to us today. All of these sacrifices, everything that they were doing, even now, was only a shadow of what was to come. It pointed forward to the only true sacrificial, uh, sufficient sacrifice that we have come to know in Jesus Christ. And it is only through our faith in His death for us in our place, that we escape sin's punishment. Secondly, as I said earlier, the altar wasn't built in the valley or on the mountain of blessings, but rather on Mount Ebal, where the curses were proclaimed from. Why? Well, the altar was for sinners, for those that acknowledged their sin, and who came, not as the righteous, but as sinners, to the place of sacrifice. Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 5.32 And the only sufficient sacrifice is that of the unblemished lamb for an imperfect person such as us. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. 
But what's interesting is that a thousand years later, the Samaritans built their altar on Mount Gerizim and not on Mount Ebal. So when the Samaritan woman that Jesus confronted at Jacob's well said, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship, she was pointing towards Mount Gerizim, John 4.20. Jesus responded by turning her away from that mountain, as well as any other place or any other person, to himself and his coming sacrifice. He said of the woman's understanding, uh, of the Messiah because she, she had stated the Messiah will come and he will tell us all that is true. And his response to her, I who speak to you am he. The problem with the Samaritans then and with people in our day is self-righteousness. The Samaritans would not go to God as sinners in need of forgiveness, cleansing, and substitutionary sacrifice, but came as righteous people with much pride. Oftentimes, that's, that's what we see, just as this self-righteousness. I, I neglect, I will neglect, I will not go to the Lord with humility and brokenness before Him. We can look at the story of the Samaritan woman and now see why it was that Jesus immediately exposed her spiritual ignorance and uncovered her sin. The sin is go and bring your husband. I, I don't have a husband. He said, you speak. Well, you speak what is true. You've had five, and the one that you are with is not your husband. Oh, she was astonished, right? And he uncovered that. We cannot come to God as people that are righteous because the righteous are in no need of sacrifice, of a sacrifice, no need of that. Our altar of sacrifice was on a mountain of our own sin. And the one who paid the price with the shedding of his own blood was the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And we can add nothing to salvation. The altar that was built on Mount Ebal was to be made entirely out of stones that were not touched by anything man-made. No tools. They were just to be stacked. There was nothing that man could do or add to make the altar of sacrifice look great. Better. Nothing. The best thing on that altar was a sacrifice. We have a tendency as people to try and add something to salvation when we can't. Even our righteousness is like filthy rags before a holy God. Paul wrote to the Ephesians these words, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. The most beautiful thing on the altar of sacrifice is the fact that the Lord willingly went. And died on our behalf. That's the most beautiful thing. It's an expression of God's beautiful and perfect love. Salvation is by grace through the work of God alone. And to, to that I say, thank you, Jesus. For going to the altar to die, to die in my place for my sins. And when you said that it was finished. When the Lord said that it was finished. The work was done. and Then I can, by faith, receive His grace. That, that's amazing. This evening we can be encouraged because God does give second chances. We just need to follow His plan, completely destroy the enemy, the sin in our lives, follow Jesus and His Word, and then worship Him, glorify Him, 
for the victories that he has given to us. Remember those things that are before us. Be led and guided by his word. And walk in the spirit that you would not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Be on guard though. Know that we are to advance. We are to take the offensive. Be proactive. And not be caught on our heels. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, once more for this moment that you've given to us of studying your word. And I know, Lord, that there is no possible way we could have gone through this in greater detail tonight or else it would have taken us a lot longer. But yet, Lord, I pray that it was enough to give a, a good understanding. And Lord, perhaps to cause a little thirst for each of us, Lord, to look into a little deeper, to know a little better. That we would know that with the things that we have seen this evening and come to know, Lord, that there are great applications to our lives. Lord, thank you for for embracing us once again and, and helping us to our feet and being our strength once again, even after we have stumbled, Lord. And Lord, you, you continue to give us direction. You continue to guide us. As your people, you tell us that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. You love us with an everlasting love. Lord, a perfect love, agape love. simply to be obedient to you demonstrating our love for you to bless and glorify you thank you Lord for this time and we pray this in Jesus name